0: We're continuing on now, we're at verse six of chapter fourteen. He who observes the day observes it for the Lord, and he who eats does so for the Lord, for he gives thanks to God. And he who eats not for the Lord, he does not eat, and he gives thanks to God. He gives thanks for his life. He give thanks for everything. He said, in everything, pray and supplicate, but give thanks. So if you have that liberty, you thank the Lord that you have that liberty, and if you think you have to do certain things, then you ask for grace to do it until your conscience can be enlightened by the Word of God. Okay? So we see that Peter's conscience was finally enlightened after five or six years that he could go and eat with Gentiles, and he could eat anything food-wise. Before that, he was still a good Jew. And a good Jew did not go into a a pagan, heathen house and fellowship with them. So they were still observing that until five or six later, when Cornelius was accepted. And he said, oh, the Lord's showing me the Gentiles have been accepted, and I'm not to call them unclean. And it shocked him. When they believed and all of a sudden started speaking in tongues, he was astounded because he remembered Pentecost and other experiences that they were filled with the Spirit and began to prophesy, and that told them that Christ was in them. So all of a sudden, he sees Christ is in these Gentiles. He's accepted them. And so he explains that and sends his report back to James. And he sort of says, "Uh, what was I to do? He's defending himself. I can't come against God. It was like when they preached the gospel To the Pharisees and the priests, they were forbidden to teach in Jesus' name, and the apostles said, well, who are we to obey, God, are you. The higher law said, we obey God. We may suffer for it, but on honoring and taxes, they honored the Jewish leaders, regardless if they were wicked. Remember, when Paul was corrected by the high priests, at first he was slapped by his command, and he said, God will strike you, you whitewashed sepulchre, and the guy said to him, you talk to the high priest that way? And Paul corrected himself real quickly. Oh, well, he was wicked. He knew he was wicked. He said, and he quotes the law, you shall not speak evil against the leader of your people. So he backed up. and didn't speak that way no more to him. But had he not known, he was at liberty. call a spade what was a spade so we see he went by his conscience he followed his conscience he talks about much about his con he said i have maintained to keep a clear conscience before god and men always so evidently that was very important to paul and that's why he got so much insight he obeyed what he was given he followed what he was given he was a foundation teacher he laid the foundation, and this is what he's doing now. He's trying to straighten Christian problems out among themselves and laying a good foundation and giving the Spirit time to enlighten their conscience. They can consider these things and read the scripture and so forth. Okay. So, having a clear conscience and whatever you allow or you do not allow. And this is again, things being indifferent. He's talking about people twist the scriptures. Sinning Christians and once saved always, and those who think they have a license of sin, they quote that scripture all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. Well, if they read the verses before and after, he's talking about food and drink. He's not talking about morality, he's not talking about gross sin those will send you to hell. doesn't matter who you are. If you practice those things, Paul said you're not into the kingdom. And he adds, and don't let no one lie to you. Don't let some greasy, grace, once saved person tell you you can do it because you're going to be damned if you do, okay? So not moral or open or plain sins. They're always evil and they're never sanctioned in any covenant. Murder, stealing, impurity, uncleanness, thievery, covetousness, hate, malice. They're never sanctioned and are never lawful, okay? So he names many. Uh, one or two scripture. Paul names 18, and one another, one uh, a few above, a few believe, and then he says, and such like, in case you forget, But he says what? If you practice that kind of lifestyle, he says you won't make it to heaven. He doesn't say if you're born again. He doesn't say if Jesus comes and talks to you every night. He said if you live this way, you'll not make it to heaven. Makes it very plain and simple. See, a lot of people, they want to straddle the line. What can I do? Oh, I've talked to them. How much can I do and, and still be a Christian? Well, you're already wicked. See, you're looking for a way to be wicked. You revealed your heart. I said, well, you won't make it. Yeah, some people say, well, I hope I, at least I can make it. I said, no, you're not going to, because you really don't want to live righteous, and You just don't want to go hell, so you don't want to cross that line. But you've already crossed it. You've revealed a wicked heart. The Spirit of the Lord and His grace is to help us live above the law of sin and death, and it's that we cannot sin and please the Lord. For the greatest commandments is to love the Lord thy God with all thy spirit, soul, and mind. John make it very plain. The love of God, he said, is to keep his commandments. See, people like to make it all emotional and sing in and pray. That's just a small part. If you're not obeying the Lord, he don't care for that. It's an insult to him. And like I say, Jesus said, The Father always hears me because I keep his words. I do what pleases him. So that's the basis of human love. And a Christian's love for God is obedience. It's not mental assent. So I hear a lot of people like, oh, I love God. I almost got fired from a job when I was about twenties. It was a backslidden person. And, well, he wasn't even a Christian. He was a Catholic on top of that, a heretic. And he said, well, you don't know my heart. I said, I certainly do. You're running around on your wife. You're living in adultery. You're going to hell. Shocked him. I thought he was going to fire me, but he didn't. Come back later to acknowledge. I said, just don't say you love God. And I quoted the scripture. John says, if you say you love God and you walk in darkness, the truth's not in you. You don't have the Lord in you. So if you practice a gross sin like that, the Lord's going to depart. He's not going to stay with you long. Let me tell you that. So, but you don't know my heart. I said, sure I do. You've revealed it. You opened your mouth and told me what you're doing. You told me you were committing adultery and running around with another woman, and you're married. Well, he didn't have no answer, did he? Uh huh. It's because the word of God was telling him the truth. And of course, later on, he probably didn't pay much attention to it. I didn't see no long-term commitment or anything. So in seven and eight, for not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. We are the Lord's. He says, You're not your own, you're bought with a price. You're the child of God, but you're the love slave of God. And as Jesus said, Don't call me Lord, Lord. That means I'm your master, you're a slave. He said, Unless you do what I tell you. See, He didn't look at us and say, Well, you've got a good American upbringing. And you vote. You don't vote on what the Lord says. He doesn't give you that option. He's a monarch. He's a complete monarch. Uh-huh. And he expects what he says to be done. And I've had people say, well, the Lord wanted me to do this, but I wouldn't. I said, because you're backslidden and you're going to hell. I purposely shock it up. He don't ask you to do something that's wicked. He commands you to stop it. He don't excuse it. Like you're doing God a favor. Like I guess say, you have no fear of the Lord, but you will in the lake of fire. That's what I tell them. You're not that special, let me tell you. People think they're really special. They'll find out they're not that special. Uh huh. Well, God loves me no matter what I do. I said, he has goodwill and benevolence, but he'll send you to hell if you don't turn and repent and follow him. And I said, so a lot of people in hell they thought God loved them. They found out holiness superseded any kind of affection or feeling. And he said, if you despise God, he'll despise you. So, he said, if you deny me before men, I'll deny you before the Father and the angels. He don't talk much about love then, does he? See, people, they make God who they want him to be instead of what the scripture tells us he's like. His ways are not our ways. And he's steeped in holiness, and he don't change. He said, I'm the Lord that changes not. And he said, be holy, for I'm holy. And if you don't, you won't make it into the kingdom. I don't care what kind of past experiences you had with him. Okay? For we live unto the Lord, or we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. So we're his bondservants, his bondslaves. We're his to do as he pleases with. He redeemed us. People think he saved them from hell so they can live their own life and be happy. Uh-uh. When he saved us, he sanctified. He calls us out of the world. We were enemies. But he calls us to himself. We're not independent. He says, now you have another master. And that means you have someone that's going to boss you whether it was the devil, self, or God, you got a master. You'll never be without a master. There is no true independence. A lot of independence is nothing but liberty to sin in human society. So Lucifer became independent. It was the first sin in the universe. He separated himself. He said five times, I will do this, I will do that. He didn't consider that he wasn't his own. He was called the light bearer, son of the morning. He stopped bearing the light. He wanted to be the light. He wanted to set himself up as a god. So his independence cost him his eternal destiny. Mm -hmm. So God isn't necessary into independence, as we think about in worldly situations. Some people deserve to be controlled and ruled because they can't take care of themselves, and they're foolish. Okay? So for this end, verse 9, for this end, Christ died and lived again and rose, that he might be Lord both of the dead and the living. Christ died and rose for all of us, those who are dead in Christ and those that are alive now. He's still Lord of the living and the dead, okay, in Christ, okay, and he'll ultimately judge everybody. Because the Lord and King of the universe, whether they're saved or not, he still ultimately owns everything. And everything will give an account to him, everyone. But you, comes back to the same subject, why do you judge your brother? See, people say, oh, that's what Jesus said, judge not that you be not judged. They pervert that scripture. He was talking about frivolous judgments on things you don't know the matters, haven't examined. But you'll find he expected the church to judge those in their fellowship if they were permitting gross sin and they would be thrown out. He commanded that kind of judgment, okay? But frivolous things, no. So he said, why do you judge your brother? Why do you regard your brother with contempt? That's what the Jews Pharisees did. They looked at the common people and said they're cursed. They were out the law. Well, they're cursed because you didn't teach them right. And you put all these burdens on them, and you didn't lift one of them, and you were hypocrites and liars. I think you got the wrong one as being cursed. And the Lord implied they were cursed. But the common people heard him, didn't they? Uh-huh. So they began to look down. Remember the Corinthians, the rich Corinthians, looked down on the poor Christians. 20 to 25% of the Christians this time were slaves. And they didn't have nothing. They were lucky they could gather, the master let them gather. But they had nothing to eat. Or anything. And the rich Christian says, well, go sit in the corner with the poor people. And God struck them with diseases, and they died of horrible diseases. He said, many of you are sick and die because you don't serve Christ's body. He has no place for that. That's utter wickedness. Where is the love of Christ?" In those people. So he's saying the same thing now. For we all stand before the judgment seat of God. Okay? You are not to judge your brother in things that are indifferent days, foods, drinks, certain things he allows, it's not plain, may not be sin for them, might be sin for you because you don't know how to use it in moderation. Oh, I've helped people say, oh, it's always a sin. I was a drunk. I said, because you're not allowed ever to drink because that's your besetting sin. I said, but this person can drink wine in his meal. It's never made him drunk because he knows how to control it, and you do not. So you have to put them in a place then, okay? So we are not to judge the body of Christ for those things, but we are to judge them concerning gross sin and moral sense. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 11 through 13. But now I have written to you not to keep company or fellowship with anyone who calls himself a Christian who is what? A practicing fornicator who has into ultra-prosperity. He's an idolater, a reviler, an argumentative, debated person, a drunkard, or an extortioner, someone trying to illegally get money from you that has no right to, not even to eat with such a person. So if a person claims to be a Christian and he lives this way, we can socialize with the wicked of the world. Paul said there's certain times you're obligated at the governor's place or the police floor, show honor and respect, and you do that in society, okay? But he said if the claims to be a Christian, you don't have nothing to do with him. Why? Because he's a hypocrite, and God's already forsaken him, okay? For he says, what have I to do with judging those who are outside, the worldly? We're not to judge them. That's God's place. Oh, they're wicked, and God will take care of them. Don't mean we don't see them as wicked. It means it's not our place to set as a judge and pass sentence on them. But God does. He said, do not judge those who are do we not judge those who are inside? So Paul is saying we judge other Christians. For what? For those sins he talked about. Not for the petty things. Not for food and drink and day. He said they're into immorality and they're liars. And he, that's what you judge. And he said what? Look at verse 13. But those who are outside, God judges. That means at appropriate time, he stores up wrath. And eventually he decides to exercise it. And some people don't get their punishments until they drop dead, and then they get more. See, whatever he doesn't judge in this life, he stores up wrath. Justice comes into play. If he's given more grace, and they've despised that grace, they will be punished more. But notice what he said. Therefore, for this reason, put away from yourselves that wicked person. So he says they claim to be a Christian and they're a fornicator, adulterer, a thief, a drunkard. He says what? They're wicked. Put them away. Excommunicate them. That's what he's talking about. Until they repent, you have nothing to do with them. So isn't that interesting? You can socialize to a degree if you're not partakers of the sins of people in the world. He even said later, if we couldn't socialize with everybody, we'd have to get leave the world because we live around all of these kinds of people and we have to function with these people and be a light to them. Okay, So we're seeing who we're to judge and who we're not to judge. And only spiritual elders and spiritual mature Christians were placed to judge people like that. And it said if you were to do it with fear and respect because you could be in the same situation. So you're not to be high-minded. You're to consider them. But until they repent, you have to be sharp with them. And if they don't repent, you have to tell them get out. You can't have enough to do with you because God does it. So you don't love them and just accept them like they do today. That's why the church is a false. The church was for Christians. The sinner could come and listen. But he had no say-so in what went on. And if he caused eruption, he was asked to leave. The church was not as they've made it today. Every message of salvation, every week, and the people never mature because they don't know nothing. That was not the main thing, the maturing of the saint. Paul said, do good unto all men, especially to the household of faith. You favor a sinner over a true Christian you've sinned. If you don't know what to do in the case, you choose the Christian. If you have to make a choice. But he said, do good to all men, especially to the household of faith. Why? Because Christ is in him. And whatever you do to him, you do to Christ. In the world, the devil's in them. But we can still be gracious and kind. So we need to grow up. So you do not judge those who are outside. But you judge those inside, those who are participating in gross sin, and they will not repent when confronted by Christians. You have to deal with these things. And if they don't, they throw them out, okay? It says do not keep company. You cannot have fellowship with those kind of people. Do not even eat with them, okay? Don't socialize with them. Well, people don't do that today. We just to love them. The scripture doesn't say that. That's why you have so many false Christians.? Okay? They're more afraid of what people think and other Christians than what the Lord commanded. They're not necessary they're not mature Christians, and some of them are not even Christians, and they've been in it for 10 and 20 years. They got the wrong gospel, okay. Put away, excommunicate, avoid. It's to show them that's how God looks at them. And then if they repent, you accept them back in to the body. If they stop, repentance is not a word, it's an action. Confession are words. Confession means nothing without repentance. Many people say, Lord, Lord, and they're going to be cast into hell because there was no repentance. Okay, There was no change of heart. So the judge not that Jesus said, that was those who were lightly judging people over things that weren't that important and making personal evaluations because they didn't like the person or that had nothing to do with the church of the old or the new. So we were not to be frivolous, but we are to judge in our gathering or our fellowship those who are in gross sin. So he's saying, don't despise his weakness, and you don't despise him for his strength. So the Christian, Jewish Christian, and Gentile Christian will all stand before the judgment seat of God for our works. And the works will either be wood, hay, and stubble, or gold, silver, and precious stones. We will basically be the, the judgment seat of Christ at a different judgment, will not be judged for sin because he was judged on Christ on the cross. And as we use our high priest when we sin and when we fail, we don't have to be—these sins will not be brought up again. They've already been removed. So people need to understand that, but not with the wicked. Okay, we'll go back to John again. First John chapter 2. One and two, my little children, these things I write to you that you may not sin. So, what is he saying? These people tell me, well, you have to sin every day in word, thought, and deed. I said, then you're of the devil. You have not been set free. You're a slave of sin. Oh, I'm not saying we don't make fault. We're given a high priest for that. But if you continually sin and grow sin, you're not going to be in the kingdom. Okay? So, he said, but that you may not sin. That's why I'm writing these things to you. That you have the power and the spirit to live above this. That's what Paul said, sin shall not have dominion over you. The people that quote that, it still has dominion over them. They'll quote that scripture so have the, while they're practicing fornication. See, they've been given over to a deceiving spirit. No, the reason sin shall not have power over you because you don't give it power. And you have Christ in you to resist it and give the strength to overcome. That's what he expects. We have an advocate, an intercessor with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the perpetuation for our sins, the appeasement, the sacrifice. He took care of these things, and not only for ours, as Christians, but also for the whole world. I like what Paul says, he died especially for us Christians. But he didn't die for the elect, the predestined, the ones that were never born. He died for everybody. So if he died for everybody, everybody has to be given a chance to their conscience, to nature. There's no one without a light. Uh-huh. So he died for everybody. And it's not his will that any perish, but all come to repentance. That's Old and New Testament. That's how God thought on the Old and he says, I am the Lord who changes not. And Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and forever. He's never changed. So that's his general will. Then everybody be saved and everybody come to the Lord. He didn't say, oh, 500 years ago before you were born, I decided you're going to hell because I don't like you. And people say, well, that's the wisdom. No, that would be demonic of God. It would make him a devil, monstrous. And he can't be that way. He says he's long suffering, he's patient, even to the wicked, not willing that they perish. He told us that. So when you contradict that, you're doing the work of the devil. Okay? So I tell people use some common sense and stop believing stupid things from intellectual bumpkins that don't know the Lord and don't know how to rightly divide the word of truth. Okay. Now, forgive me, but I don't need forgiveness because. Jesus and Paul and James called people like that foolish. He even called the Christian foolish when they did certain things. Even Jesus told his disciples, you're fools on certain things. And he meant to reprove them. James, when he says, you say you can have faith without works, he said, you fools. Faith without works is dead. All of your mental assent and lip service don't mean nothing. It's like the man who keeps telling his wife every night, oh, I love you, I love you. And then all during the day, he's running around fornicating. He's a liar, and the truth's not in him, okay? He might have an affection, but he doesn't have loyalty and love and commitment, okay? So he's quoting in verse 11, For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall give praise or confess me the saved and the unsaved will stand before him. And those who are being cast into the lake of fire, the wicked, they will understand. There will be no lies then. They'll see the truth, their conscience, whatever's left of it, God will enlighten. The devil cannot lie to them. They will see their wickedness. They will see that they got justice. And that's why there'll be hopelessness and wailing and weeping when they see how foolish and wicked they were and there's going to be no one in hell saying I don't know why I'm here they'll know exactly that they despise the holiness of God and the old says those who forget God God will turn into hell they have a duty to serve God whether they like it no independence okay. so each one, twelve of us, will give an account of himself to God. Each one, every one, all Christians will answer for their works, their stewardship, their talents, their gifts, and they will lose or gain rewards according, okay? And the wicked will be judged for every idle word and every sin they committed, it will be measured in vengeance by God's holiness, okay? Therefore, verse 13, Let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not put an obstacle or a stumbling block in your brother's way. Okay? So he's repeating, do not judge over indifferent, frivolous things, foods, drinks, and days, and moons, and such. But rather see to it that you don't put a barrier, an obstacle, that you cause a brother to stumble, Because Christ won't like that, okay? And I know and I'm convinced. People need to read this scripture if they understand it. If they don't, they're in trouble. For I know and I'm convinced. Where is he convinced? In his conscience. That in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. But to him who thinks anything to be unclean, to him it is unclean. So he's saying your conscience. The conscience is the inner law that God's put on everybody until they blaspheme the spirit or until they sear it by ultra-wickedness or continual rebellion. Then their conscience can be seared and then they're in a very difficult situation because a person cannot be saved unless the Holy Spirit uses the conscience. That's what he enlightens. That's what is the part of man, the human spirit. Okay. So he's saying, so none of these things are impure. It's what you do with them. So even the Christian that has liberty and can do many things, it must be a moderation. If he does things out of moderation, then it becomes sin. And he can't say, well, I have liberty. No, you don't. Liberty is not a license to sin. So you can take things that are legitimate, and use them for evil. And that's what he's going to deal with. Okay. So the apostle was giving apostolic revelation. He's still laying the foundation. He said, my conscience is convinced that no food or day or ritual is unclean or forbidden in itself. But many are not thus enlightened. They haven't grown up in Christ. They haven't been matured by the word yet. 15. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. So that's the higher law. Do not destroy with food him whom Christ has died. People don't like reading this. You can destroy a Christian and cause him to lose his salvation by doing certain things and offending and causing him to back up. He says, you can destroy him. He wouldn't have used that word if he didn't mean it. It could happen. Oh yeah, I know that Christians have influenced people and caused them backslide. The backslider will answer to God. The one who caused it's going to answer to God. The same as the false teachers and shepherds. The individual. What did Jesus say? He didn't say, oh, poor souls. Jesus said, if the blind lead the blind, he said, they both fall into the pit. And then he's told Peter, leave them alone. So he's saying, leave them alone, teach teachers and those that want to believe it. They are responsible. Ultimately, nobody can say, well, I didn't have a teacher. I didn't have that. Well, if you'd walked in the light you had, you would. So you're not going to be able to blame anybody else, even if they influenced you for evil. You had a will and you could have not done it. So that will not stand at the judgment of God. Okay. So if you cause your brother to stumble over these minor things, you're not walking in Christian love. The second of all commands, what? The first was love the Lord and God with all your spirit, soul, and mind. The second, like to it, you love your neighbor and also the body of Christ as you do yourself. Remember, Jesus said all the law and the prophets hang on those two things. If you do those two things, all the other ones you've accomplished because love does no harm toward his neighbor, okay? So you do not cause him to fall away and backslide, for his conscience might do something you told him he could do. And then it so bothers him, he turns away. And the devils take advantage of him, and he won't reconsider that they were wrong to tell him to do that, because they had liberty Then he begins to think, I've sinned, and and I'm being led astray, and so they give up, okay? That's why Christian parents, especially fathers, are told not to overdo your correction to your children, Says lest they become discouraged. If parents put too much on their teenagers and things over frivolous, eventually they'll harden themselves, and they'll say, I don't like this way, and so when I'm old enough, I'm not going to follow this. This is too much, See, they need to correct and discipline properly and not go overboard these things, okay? 16, therefore, for this reason, why? You don't want him to backslide. Do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil. You see? And they'll say, you talked this Christian into doing this, and his heart kept condemning him, and you kept telling him do it anyway, and he did, and it so disturbed his spirit he fell away. He didn't. He didn't like it. Okay. Well, you can see what's going to happen. So he says, therefore, do not let what is for you good be spoken of evil. You know, good intentions sometimes are not enough. Okay. And we'll see what he says. So let your liberty not cause him to be a sinner, okay? For the kingdom, people need to read this and understand it often. For the kingdom of God, this includes Christ, is not eating and drinking. Those are the indifferent things. It's not whether you eat meat or wine or food. He's saying the natural things have nothing to do with the spiritual, okay? He said, why in Christ Jesus, Paul said there's neither Jew nor Gentile, bond nor slave, male nor female. When he looks at the Spirit, he doesn't make distinctions. He's judging their Spirit. So he says, those are earthly things that will pass away. So we need to understand they're not eternal, they're in the natural here. Okay. But what is the kingdom of God? Righteousness peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So if a person's not walking in righteousness, he's not in the kingdom of God. The one who has a license to sin and greasy grace, he's not in the kingdom of God because you have to live righteously. It's holiness. It's practical. See, these uh, liars, they'll talk about, I'm seated with Christ in heavenly places. You're not. If you're living in fornication and adultery, you're a liar. You're not seated with him. He doesn't see himself with wicked, demonic people, okay? And peace, he says he gives us peace. The true Christian has a peace with God because he's not living in sin. He knows he's right with God, his conscience. Perfect love casts out fear. He's comfortable with the Lord, and the Spirit bears witness. But when he starts to fall into sin, the Spirit don't bear witness, and he loses his peace. And people say, well, you lose your fellowship, but you don't lose your relationship. That's not true. See, they're trying to say you're saved anyway. It's not true. Fellowship and relationship go together. You break fellowship, relationships gonna die. They, they're tied up together. Okay. And joy in the Holy Spirit. Many people, they want to be happy. They're fine in their life. The prosperity people want God to bless them with things and materialism and money and hell and all of these. They're still of the world. See, their happiness depends on what happens. He said, You find your life. That means you found your happiness. Jesus says, You lose it eternally. Joy comes from the Lord. There can be sorrow and persecution and tribulation, but the joy is that we're right with the Lord and we're His, and He does not leave nor forsake us as we stay with him. But it says, in the Holy Spirit. It's a spiritual kingdom we live in. People often talk about, you were a Christian nation. There is no Christian nation. They call themselves Christian, and they may use Christian principles. There's only one Christian nation, and that's those who are born again and follow the Lord. Uh Imitators will not make it they're coming another way, and they're not going to make it. But there's good rules that they can get from Christianity, but governments are judged differently, and they're not Christian. The God of this world rules most of the nations and the political and religious systems, and the kingdom of God is only in the Christian. Okay, Let's stop at verse 17. Lord, give us wisdom, maturity, practical understanding of your word that we rightly handle the word and not take scriptures out of context and make them lies. In Jesus' name, amen.